It is a pleasure to be with you today on getting to know your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching, and we are delighted to, to know that there are perhaps those watching for the first time today. We have those who watch every time we come on the air. I've had people to call me and say, Brother Lambert, I record those sermons, and I, I listen to every one of them, and that's an encouragement to me. Thank you so very much. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we're going to discuss this subject, the Bible. The Bible. We just want to talk about the Bible. What about the Bible? We're going to look at one passage of Scripture and three things we learn about the Bible from that verse. Stay tuned. Now today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we continue to offer the free Bible correspondence course. We'd like for you to know more about the course and how to receive it. So let's pause for just a moment. The greatest book in all of the world is called the Bible. And it is the greatest book in the world because it is God's book. It's not the fabrication of man. It is God's book. It is inspired of God. And it is the greatest book in the world because this book tells me all that I need to know about myself. It tells me of my origin. It tells me of my purpose in life. And it can tell me about my destiny. And so this is a great book. And it is a great book because this is going to be the standard by which God will judge the world in the last day. So we need to know as much about the Bible as we possibly can. Now today, I want to read a passage of Scripture from the book of Hosea, chapter 8, and verse number 12. Just a very short passage, so listen. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. The need for divine revelation is in reality man's need for guidance. And man needs guidance. Jeremiah put it like this in Jeremiah 10 and verse 23. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. So if he cannot direct his steps, someone must help him. And who is that? Well, the fact is our eternal happiness depends upon our using the Word of God to help guide us and to lead us. In the book of Psalms, chapter 119, it is the longest chapter in all of the Bible. And I would challenge you to go and read that chapter. Every passage in Psalms 119 says something about the Bible. Or oh, it may refer, refer to it as God's law, God's statutes, God's testimony. But it's still talking about the Word of God. And the one passage that sort of stands out in that chapter is verse 105, where the psalmist says, Thy Word, God's Word, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
And if there's ever been a time that we needed help with our lives, it's today. If there's ever a time we needed something as a chart and compass, it's now. If there's ever a time we needed something to drive away the darkness, it is today. If there's ever been a time we needed something to enlighten us, it is now. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. And so as we go through this world, I I would suggest that we exalt the Bible, exalt the living word of God, And Hebrews chapter 4 and 12 says the Word of God is quick and it is powerful and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. When an individual is living in sin and they study the Bible, it, it will cut them to the quick. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost when the Bible says they were pricked in their hearts. They were pricked in their hearts after Peter preached to them about Jesus. And they inquired, men and brethren, what shall we do? In the passage that I have just read to you, there are three very interesting things about the Bible. First of all, it claims to be the Word of God. Claims to be the Bible. It says, I have written. I have written. Well, you say, who is it that has done the writing? Well, God has given us the Bible. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 16, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You see, God has given us His Word. In 1 Thessalonians, the uh, first chapter, in verse number 13, listen to it, second chapter rather, in verse 13. For this reason we also thank without God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, you see, they received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. When we hear someone preach, the thing that needs to come to our mind is, is in fact that the word of God. Paul, in writing to the church in Thessalonica, said we are thankful to God. We don't cease to thank. We don't stop thanking God. Because when you received the Word of God, you received it as the Word of God, not the Word of a man. I think it is, it is uh, tragic that many people today would rather take the Word of a man than they had the Word of God. Well, they'll say, well, you know, my preacher said thus and so, or so and so said thus and so. Well, is it the Word of God? We need to be people who are willing to investigate for ourselves. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, the Bible says these were more more noble than those of Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. 
Are we doing that? There was a time when people would search the Scriptures daily, when they would find, try to find out for themselves, and there are still people like that. We have not just hundreds, but thousands of people who have enrolled in the free Bible correspondence course to find out for themselves. They're searching the Scriptures. You see, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. It claims to be the inerrant Word of God. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law and the prophets. Why, he said, I didn't come to destroy but to fulfill. He said, Till heaven and earth shall pass away. Not one jot, now that would just be a little mark of a Hebrew letter, or one tittle, that'd be the crossing of the T, shall pass from the law. Now, my friends, that's verbal inspiration with a vengeance. That, that God gave it and, it, and it's not going to be destroyed. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 35, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. The word of it, the Bible claims to be God's divine will. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 10, listen to what Paul writes about the inspiration of the Bible. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. The only one who knows the mind of God is the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Well, why did you receive the Spirit, Paul? That we might know the things we, that have been freely given to us by God. That's Bible inspiration, folks. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. One of the reasons that some people will study the Bible and then never understand it is because they do not look at it as being the Word of the living God. They're not really convinced it is the Bible. They're not convinced that it was given by the inspiration of God. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. Well, now who says it's not? Who is it that says the Bible is not the inerrant Word of God? Well, the devil does. Don't you remember in the very beginning of time in Genesis, the third chapter, that the, that the devil in the form of a servant came to Eve and said, now, now has God not said that if you eat of that fruit that's in the midst of the garden, you're going to die? Now here, let me tell you something. God's wrong. You will not surely die. Yes, I'll tell you who says it's not the inerrant Word of God. The devil does that. And since that time, Satan has been turning and twisting and resting the Scriptures, the Word of the living God. And the worldly wise say that it's not the Word of God. In Romans, the first chapter, Paul is talking about the, the 
the condition of the, of the people of his day, the Gentile world. And in Romans chapter 1 and verse 22, he said, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And there are those who think they're smart today. They think they're wiser than God. They, they know more than God. Well, they'll even tell you there is no God. Solomon, David rather said in Psalms 14 and 1, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. But Paul said they're professing themselves to be smart and wise, intellectual. But they're simply fools in the sight of God. They do not believe it. The Bible claims to be God's Word. Secondly, notice the contents of the Bible. Great things of my law. What are some of the great things of the Bible? Well, there's its unaccountable unity. I don't know of any way to account for the unity of the Bible other than the fact that it is the Word of God. Think about it. The Bible is composed of 66 books from Genesis to Revelation. From the beginning to the end, there are 66 books. And those 66 books were written by some perhaps 40 men from all walks of life. Some of them were farmers. Some of them were fishermen. Some of them were shepherds. Some of them were kings from all walks of life. Some of them were prophets. And yet the message of the Bible agrees from beginning to end. If you were to start in the good morning of Genesis and read to the goodbye of Revelation, there is a common thread that runs throughout the Bible. And that common thread is Jesus. The Old Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is coming into the world. All of the more than 300 prophecies about Jesus say, Jesus is coming. Then when you come to the New Testament, the message is not that Jesus is coming. The message is that Jesus has come. The Savior of the world has arrived. He lived and He died and He was resurrected and now He's gone back to heaven. That's the message of the New Testament. But the message of the New Testament is also that He's going to come again someday. And everything throughout the Bible is about Jesus, about His life, about His death. There's a promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis, the 12th chapter, verses 1 through 3, that God would bless all nations through His posterity, through His seed. We turn to Galatians 3.16, and that, 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 that theme is still running through the Bible, and it is explained what was meant to Abraham. And that seed that was mentioned to Abraham was Christ. Jesus is all through the Bible. Why the, the birth of Jesus was, was predicted in Isaiah 7 and 14. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Look at Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Even predicting the sex of the child that's going to be born. 
And the government shall be upon his shoulders. He's going to be a ruler. And Jesus is a ruler, a king. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's Jesus, friends. And when you come to in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, uh, the, the, the Bible says that uh, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you're going to call that son's name Emmanuel, and that means God with us. And when you turn to the first chapter of Matthew, we find the fulfillment of the prophecy made in the Old Testament. You see, the Bible is a unity. There is the unity of its books, and there's the unity of its revelation. It's amazing to me. Suppose that there were 40 people throughout the world who were sculptors. That they could take a piece of clay and they could make, take with their hands and mold it and make it into something quite beautiful. And then they would harden it and it would be permanent. Hard as a rock. Suppose that each one of those 40 sculptors was commissioned to take a piece of rock and to chisel it and to form it, and to make it a part of something that's going to be constructed. And so all 40 of those people come together. Each one of them has their piece of the puzzle, as it were. Each one of them has their piece of stone that they've worked on. Wouldn't it be quite amazing if when they began to put all those pieces together, they fit together like the pieces of a puzzle? And after they get them all fitted together and pieced together, it's one of the most beautiful works of art that anyone has ever seen. And yet all 40 of these people worked independent one of another. That's exactly what happened when the men wrote the Bible. They were living in different ages of, of Bible history, different eras of time. And yet when they wrote the Bible, everything they wrote all fits together like the pieces of a puzzle. Suppose someone were to take a, a, a person with a bow and arrow and they were to blindfold that person and they were to station that person 1,000 feet away from the target and then they hit the bull's eye. And then they would take that person and they stationed that person 700 feet away from the target and he hits the bull's eye. And then they stationed that person 400 feet away from the target and still hits the bull's eye. It would be reported in the news that that's one of the most remarkable feats ever done with a bow and arrow. Blindfolded. And every time you pull that string back and let that arrow fly, it hits the bull's eye. But friends, that's exactly what the writers of the Bible did. Some of them lived a thousand years from the time of Christ. Some of them 500 years from the time of Christ. Some of them 700 or 800 years from the time of Christ. Some of them 400 years of time away from the time of Christ. And yet when they wrote, they hit the bull's eye. Every time they hit the target and the target was about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the contents of the Bible. The contents of the Bible shows that it's more than just a normal book. 
Then you think about the plan of salvation in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 2 reads like this. This is a question asked. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I wonder why he calls it a great salvation. Well, I think it's a great salvation because Jesus is the author of it, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. I think it's a great salvation because the scope of it, it's worldwide, Mark 16, 15. But I think there are other reasons it's referred to in that way. It's a simple gospel. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 3, he was fearful just like Eve was deceived by Satan that they would be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And I must say, there are those today who have been deceived in regards to the simplicity there is in Jesus Christ. The gospel is simple. It is not complicated. Listen to the gospel explained by the Apostle Paul. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which also you received, and wherein you stand, and by which you're saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day according to the Scripture. Paul said, I preach the gospel to you. You're saved by the gospel if you continue in it, unless you reject the gospel. And he said, I preach to you about the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, we're saved by that gospel when we obey a likeness of it. In Romans, the sixth chapter, verses 17 and 18, Paul said, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you've obeyed from the heart of form of, of, of that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, made free from sin when they obeyed a form of the gospel, the form of the doctrine. A form of what? A form of his death and his burial and resurrection. Someone says, well, how do you obey a, a, a form of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Because that's when you're made free from sin, not before you do, but when you do. We'll go back to Romans the 6th chapter again, verse 1 and following. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His death, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Think about those verses for a minute. Paul said we die to sin. Jesus died on the cross. That is, we repent of our sins, die to the love of sin. And then Paul said that person who has died to sin, repented, is buried. And they're buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. 
They're buried into his death, into the benefits of his death. It was in his dying he shed his blood. Hence, when we're baptized into Christ, by faith we come in contact with that blood that washes away our sins. And then there's a resurrection. We come to, forth out of the waters of baptism to walk in the newness of life, just like Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God to die no more. We arise from the waters of baptism to walk in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. We die to sin. We're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life, hence obeying a likeness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's not complicated. That's very simple. And may God help us to have a greater appreciation for the plan of salvation that is described in the Bible. The book that I hold in my hand is an indestructible book. Men have tried to destroy it down through the ages. They have sought to destroy its influence and, and remove it from society because they literally hate the Bible. And the reason they hate the Bible is because the Bible exposes them for what they really are in the sight of God. It is indestructible. Heaven and earth shall pass away. It will one day. But the Word of God will not be destroyed. Jesus said, My Word shall not be broken. Now let's look at a third thing quickly. How to treat the Bible. They count it a strange thing. Don't count it a strange thing. Study the Bible for yourself. Study to show yourself approved unto God. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Study and you'll learn more about the Word of God. That's what getting to know your Bible is all about. I want to encourage you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. I'd encourage you right now to pick up the telephone and call for the free Bible course or get the information as to how you can take the course online. We want you to study the Bible. Study the Bible for yourself and learn what God would have you to do. I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer.